Because I can control the weather, they call me Storm. Welcome to This Week in Nerd News, your one-stop shop for all the pop culture you may have missed this week. Brought to you by the Black Nerd Problems Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, Keith Ree Cleland. And I'm your host, Victoria Bertine. Alright folks, hopefully you went ahead and enjoyed a long holiday weekend for listening to this and everything, as we plan to very much ourselves. Quite a lot happened in Nerd News this week, so let's go ahead and dive right in. Victoria, how you doing, by the way? I'm doing Alright. Glad to be with you as always, and you know we get to we get to hang out every week. You know the three of us we kind of rotate a little bit, but we get to hang out every week. And one of the things that I've been doing this week because I broke down and got HBO Max because I have nothing better to do with what little money I have. Right, I've been going back and watching Fresh Prince of Bel Air. My husband is not black, and so, therefore, has not seen the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I don't know why that's a black thing. Just, I feel like you should have seen the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and he has not. And so, I am educating him. And so, we've been going through that. And so, when news hit this week of a 30 year anniversary, that was super cool, right? So,. The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reunion is a thing that is going to happen. Uh, The 30-year anniversary is actually on September 10th, so that's when they will be filming the reunion. No word on exactly when it will come out on HBO Max, but I'm assuming shortly thereafter. It's a reunion and that everyone will potentially be in the same socially distanced room, but it's going to be unscripted. It's not going to necessarily be a new episode of the show. It's just going to be the cast getting together, hanging out, talking about what Fresh Prince meant then and how it's kind of aged and what it means now. Just in case anyone wasn't clear by Janet Hubert's last time that she popped up and got really angry at the Smith family, it will not be Janet Hubert who is joining us as Aunt Viv. It will be Daphne Maxwell-Reed. And I think that this will be fun in general, but I also think it's going to be really fun seeing that just under a month ago, we got news that a reboot is actually happening. So last year we got that incredible fan-made um, kind of faux trailer, which was directed and written by Morgan Cooper. That was kind of a grittier, darker retelling of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air in current circumstances and times. And last month, we got news that Will Smith did, in fact, order it up as a series. So Morgan Kubler will be working on Bel-Air with Universal TV and Will Smith's Westbrook Studios. They don't have a place for the show to land currently, but I'm sure that is only a matter of time. So, yeah, what do you think about Fresh Prince and all of the new exciting news? It is my second favorite show in the entire world. <laughs> like, I actually bought the DVD box set and I've yep. not done that for anything else in my entire life. Like, I don't even have a DVD player anymore. But I still have that box set with me everywhere I go, right? I love the show for so many reasons. All the characters, our favorite episode that everyone else has. Like, I laugh, I cry, all those things. But, as you know, it wasn't available to stream until very recently with mm-hmm. HBO Max. So that's very good. 
far as the reunion goes, very happy to see this happen. Like, I love seeing these people together. They've had miniature reunions over the years, especially with, like, Will Smith and Alfonso Ribeiro. I think they, like, did the Carlton dance on Graham Norton at one point and stuff. Like, I love seeing yes. these moments for sure, right? But I will say, like, I wish it would have happened sooner because, one, we're going to be missing James Avery, which right. is one of the best, who was one of the best parts of this entire show. But I'm sure they'd, like, do a lot, like, telling stories about him and everything to feel his presence still be there for sure. Also, of course, Daphne Maxwell Reed's going to be the only one there. Janet Huber's not invited to these things anymore because if she is invited, she's going to make a scene and embarrass Will Smith. And Will Smith is far too rich to let himself be embarrassed at this point in time in his life. Now, I would have loved to see the good Aunt Viv be there, but things went how they went. She's been making a noise about this for 30 years now, like 33 years probably, I think, at this point. That's not surprising me in the very least. Also, I'm very curious, like, they keep describing these, like, unscripted reunions because, you know, Friends is getting one, too, on HBO Max. I'm like, is it just them sitting on a stage and talking, or is it going to be, like, some weird improv thing on the old set? Like, what are you saying? You just call it, like, a reunion and we'll figure it out for ourselves, right? It's very confusing. Yeah, I agree. It, it The article that I read didn't really have a good didn't give me a good grasp of what was going to be happening, so I'm not sure if it's going to be if there's going to be like a host who's just asking them questions or if it's going to be somewhere in the middle where it is a host asking them questions, but some of the questions are more like, how do you think the family would react to this thing that's happening now? Can you play it out for us? Who knows? But that cast will be fun to get back together no matter what. So Absolutely. But speaking about reboots and nostalgia and things that I loved in my youth, Nintendo made some pretty big news this week as well, at least as far as I'm concerned. To celebrate 35 years of one of the most historic and recognizable series in all of video games, Nintendo's giving us all Super Mario Brothers from our childhood at once. During a live announcement early last week, Nintendo revealed some new games that will be attached to the anniversary, including retrofitted classic Mario games like Super Mario Bros., Super Mario 64, Mario Sunshine, and more. Something called Mario Royale, which is going to let up to 75 players compete at one time in one game field, which is pretty cool. And my personal favorite, a new Mario Kart that allows you to build a track in real life with actual remote control cars that match gameplay. So like, if you're watching on the screen and hit the car in front of you with a red shell, on, in your living room, you'll look down and see the car that got hit stop and your car just go around it. Like, it's really cool to watch it happen at the same time. At least in the trailer, we'll see if it's actually that way in real life. Um, I've said many, many times that like gaming isn't quite my thing, but in reality, like as a kid, I had every single Nintendo system and every Mario game I possibly could, and that was my bread and butter. Like the first video game I ever played was Super Mario Bros. on my grandmother's original Game Boy. Like that's my origin story and all this. So this makes me very happy. But I have seen that like the fandom and internet space isn't quite as exciting. But before we dive into what they think, Victoria, what are your thoughts on this? So I have kind of an interesting relationship with Super Mario Brothers because um, I didn't have any consoles growing up. That was just not a thing that was really allowed in my household. Strangely, though, my grandfather did have a Nintendo system. Uh, he never played. I never saw that man play video games ever in his life. I think it was just just to mess with us grandchildren. I really do. I think that he just had it to mess with us. Um, because the only time that it ever got used, it was only allowed out once a year. And that was at Christmas. Once everyone else in the family was like in a food coma, if you had already done dishes and like put everything away and cleaned up after like present opening, 
then maybe, maybe you would get to bring out the Nintendo. And of course, it would always go like oldest to youngest of who could play it. And if you started making a ruckus, then you got handed a deck of cards and it was over. That was it for the year. You had to wait until the next year. So I have a lot of nostalgia for Super Mario Brothers, but I didn't actually play it that often. Which feels really weird. Um, and I've never had a Nintendo system since then, so I don't have the same attachment to a lot of these things. But I, I guess it kind of depends. If they're just doing kind of like remasters, then yeah, why not? Like, why not better graphics? I think that one of the good things about Super Mario Brother, or well, Super Mario in general, is that. They have always played with graphics, right? And so you have the the kind of 8-bit and, well, 64-bit, I guess. We're not quite 8-bit, but 64-bit Mario. You have 2D Mario. You have the brand new, like, I remember when 3D Mario was, like, a new thing, right? So I, I think it'll be interesting. I don't know that it'll change that much, I think that having it on Switch, like the console will be more of a difference than the actual gameplay. Although this Mario Royale thing just feels like it's a way to crash servers, honestly. <laughs> it just feels like it's not going to go well. But who knows? It, it probably isn't, but everything. But also, for more background information, so this whole package is being called Super Mario Bros. 35. And it's free if you have a subscription Nintendo Switch online service, but that's only from October 1st until March of next year. So nice. during that time when I'm definitely going to be playing some of this stuff, I feel bad now because, like, your story kind of hurt my heart a little bit. I'm just like, <laughs> it's so close, but, like, but not really. You can't really play it because, and I feel even more ungrateful because, like, I just casually said, yeah, I had every Nintendo system and every Mario game. And then here you go saying, like, yeah, like, it was there, but we got to play it, like, once a year for an hour if we were good. Like, oh, <laughs> But the good thing is now you can go back and catch up and enjoy all these, not all these games, because still missing some like Luigi's Mansion, I think. But like, they got the big heavy hitters, right? Like, Mario Kart's been renovated yeah. in this whole case. Um, Mar Super Mario Brothers, the original, like, I love that game. I played that game so much that I could play the first couple levels with my eyes closed, because I knew exactly when to jump and how, because it was just muscle memory at that point. Um, I remember sitting with my family when Mar Super Mario 64 came out on Nintendo 64. And, like, my family, come from, my uncle would come from out of town in Florida, and I would save levels that I couldn't beat just for him to come in town and just sit there and cheer him on as he did it for me, like, with no problem at all. Yeah. And oddly, while it wasn't the best game, I really enjoyed the innovation of Super Mario Sunshine, which is really just him, like, with a giant water gun on his back, just doing weird things <laughs> with that. He could fly, right? Mario could never fly before this. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> I did definitely appreciate, like... Mario as kind of the the first Animorph, right? Uh. Like, just, oh, you have this animal? Sure. Take what you like of that animal. Maybe kind of look like it, but also now you can swim and you have a fishtail. Still keep your hat on underwater. It's cool. Don't ask questions. He needs to have the hat. Don't can't question Always. that at all. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right, with that, we'll take a break, folks. So, to jump back in, let's jump back in with royalty of a different kind. Meghan Markle and her husband, who's like the prince or whatever, have entered into a deal with Netflix, which sounds super weird. 
and is probably going to be super weird. The Duke and the Duchess want to highlight diverse voices in front of and behind the camera, and they are committed to diverse hiring practices for key roles at their production company, which is a thing that they apparently have. doesn't have a name yet. Uh, their nonprofit is named kind of after their son, and their nonprofit, which is newly formed, is called Archwell, in which they are also trying to help the world. But apparently, this deal with Netflix is going to get them. They're going to do all the things. They're going to do documentaries. They're going to do animated series. They're going to do just regular old TV shows. Apparently, there's a nature documentary and an animated series lifting up voices of inspirational women already on the docket. I think we all know the cautions here, right? Meghan Markle is an absolutely amazing actress and has been for years an incredible activist, right? And he's used her platform to help around the world. One of the things she has helped is Prince Harry, right? We're around the same age. I am sure that you remember the Nazi uniform Halloween party. So I think that Prince Harry has shown a lot of movement forward, progressive movement in his own personal life. I think that his military service helped a lot with that. For those of you who didn't know, he was he was with a Canadian unit, I believe, because he wanted to serve on the front lines, which is traditionally a thing that monarchs cannot do because they're too valuable of an asset, right? So not just their loss, but the ability of them to get kidnapped and used politically by an opposing force is too great. So he kind of fought his own family to be able to go and support his troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. And and I think that he has shown some really interesting personal growth. I don't know that that necessarily translates into now we are the best people to tell these stories or to help these stories be told. But I think it could. I definitely think there's possibility there. And I think that if they're able to keep themselves out of it enough, this could be a really great opportunity. All right, and with that, we're going to go ahead and dive into our big-ticket item for the week. John Boyega made the news and was trending this week after being featured in a cover story for GQ UK. Now, this was his first interview since The Rise of Skywalker was released in December of 2019, and he clearly had a lot to say and get off of his chest. After years of dealing with the ups and downs that came with being cast in a globally popular franchise, especially as a black man in a franchise that historically has not had a lot of people of color in it, he spoke out with some pretty harsh criticisms of those responsible for the film series. This article is pretty great and insightful overall, with Boyega talking about being stranded on a boat in the middle of the ocean, the pride he has of growing his hair out and embracing it, and a lot more. So be sure to go ahead and hit GQ UK to check that out for yourself. But for now, we're going to talk about his reflections on the Star Wars experience. Quote, It's so difficult to maneuver, he said. You get yourself involved in projects and you're not necessarily going to like everything. But what I would say to Disney is do not bring out a black character, market them to be much more important in the franchise than they are, and then have them pushed to the side. 
is not good. I'll say it straight up. He goes on to say, like, you guys knew what to do with Daisy Ridley. You knew what to do with Adam Driver. You knew what to do with these other people, but when it came to Kelly Marie Tran, when it came to John Boyega, you know, F all, because we can't curse on this show. So what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? What you want me to say is, I enjoy being a part of it with great experience. No, no, no. I'll take that deal when it's a great experience. They gave all the nuance to Adam Driver, all the nuance to Daisy Ridley. Let's be honest. Daisy knows this. Adam knows this. Everybody knows. I'm not exposing anything. Whew. Talk about shots fired. I hated how we had the first film where Finn was fighting with lightsabers and like doing all this stuff and having this whole great character study. And then in the second film gets what I personally view essentially like a side mission where like he's off like saving horses on an island, which are probably going to get caught again right afterwards anyway, because it's an island that's nowhere for them to go. And then in the last film, Rise of Skywalker, like you had to tell us that he's force sensitive after the film goes off because you didn't make it clear enough in the actual film. So on top of all that, John's also dealing with like heaps and heaps of racism for people DMing him talking about you can't be a black stormtrooper, you can't be this, you can't be that. Because he was the first face that we saw in this new trilogy. So he got all the flack from the very beginning. So I don't disagree with anything that he's saying here, and a lot of people do, but I'm like, hey, it's, you're free from Disney and the powers of Star Wars. Say what you got to say. Get it off. So I want to take a second and just give uber, uber preps to Jimmy Famarewa, who wrote this article, who, who did this interview, I should say, because the journalism here is on fire. Do you remember those, like, you could get the, like, special movie edition magazines and they would have those really long interviews with, like, Elijah Wood when he was doing Lord of the Rings or Daniel Radcliffe from Harry Potter. And they were, like, and you got, like, all sorts of special, like, pictures and things like that. You know what I'm talking about? This felt like one of those interviews it even had the, like, we sat down for drinks, but they weren't really drinks because he doesn't drink alcohol. And I was like, yeah, don't drink alcohol. I get that. But, like, it had all of those quintessential pieces of that kind of epic movie behind the scenes interview. And it was amazing. So shout out to Jimmy Famarewa for that. I actually haven't seen The Rise of Skywalker. I absolutely love Star Wars. I have loved Star Wars since I knew it existed, which was when I was like four. I think the reason why I haven't seen The Rise of Skywalker is because because of The Rise of the Jedi, not because I found it bad. It was just there. It definitely didn't inspire me to be charged up for the next movie. It was like, I'll get to it when I get to it which actually seems pretty weird for the Star Wars franchise. That's not how I felt after the first movie, right? After The Force Awakens. After The Force Awakens, I was like, I want to see this next one. I didn't get to see it right away. I had to wait, and I was upset that I had to wait. And then for the third one, I was like, meh, I'll get around to it. And, and I do think that part of that is exactly what Boyega is identifying in this interview, right? It's the second one, the first one, The Force Awakens, gave us a new Star Wars, gave us the option for a different kind of story. And then the second one was like, oh, no, 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 let's go the safe route. It felt recycled, kind of, in a way. 
And I think that it felt kind of like a bait and switch a little bit, which I think Boyega also kind of voices, is that it it felt like a, a bait and switch for a lot of the community. And for a community who's like, look, yes, we're long, long time ago in a galaxy far away, but theoretically these people are more advanced than us. And like, all you got for us is great stories about white heroes? Surely not, right? I don't think it's I don't think it's shocking. I don't I think the shocking thing about it is that it was said out loud. And I think that that is the type of man that John Boyega is and I think that's the type of man that we need and I think that he's absolutely amazing in a gazillion ways. So Yes, cast Go John read Boyega. It. Go read it. Yes, and cast John Boyega in more things. First of all, did I just spoil the Rise of Skywalker for you? Oh no! It's I oh, mean okay, I've cool. I've known the things for quite a while. Okay, just making sure because I felt really bad. Like, you haven't seen it. Like oh no, what I just do? I just you know when you are when you're more entertained by John Boyega and Mark Hamill's Twitter than you feel like you will be in the theater. Like that seems like a problem. Great point there. And also he went on his personal sentiments even more by saying like, hey, don't come for my boy JJ because he wasn't even supposed to clean up your mess. But ironically, the way that you feel about the shift between The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi is how I feel about the shift from The Last Jedi to The Force 2 on The Rise of Skywalker because I felt like the second one was us going like, hey, like forget this narrative that we have this entire time, like Star Wars and how the story plays out. Like one of the biggest criticisms of that movie is that they like the whole thing about like Ray's lineage and her parentage. Like, oh, your parents were nobody. You're just like a random person. I loved that because I'm really irritated with the whole idea that like this one family or people tangentially related to them are the center of the universe. I'm like, just let it be other people too. Like, stop hoarding all of the power and talent and all that stuff, right? So I love that. And then the fact that they went into the Rise of Skywalker and completely undid that to play it safe irks me and it still does. And on top of all that, they still didn't do Finn right. By the way, I just want to point out the fact that Finn spent three movies chasing after three different women and ended up with none of them. And it is very odd. I'm like, what kind of decision making was this? He needs to be with Poe anyway. This is also very true. I would like that as well. But like, let something happen. Like, that that was such a waste of talent, to be totally honest with you. But I actually have a friend of mine who didn't watch the recent Star Wars trilogy as they were coming out. He watched them all at once after the fact. He actually liked Finn's storyline. So I guess maybe I'm falling victim to the hype of watching that first trailer and seeing a black stormtrooper or seeing him with a lightsaber and getting these hopes all like he's going to be a Jedi one day and then ultimately watching them not pan out over time. And lastly, one of the most hilarious and fun things about the Star Wars press tour, as you alluded to, was watching John Boyega transform from, like, a star-eyed kid in the first movie when he was doing interviews to by the very end just staring and, like, waiting for somebody to clap back and having a perfect (laughs) response for them. Or, like, him on the red carpet having all the sass. I'm like, yes, this is what you all did to him. But, like, it's kind of for the better because he's really, really funny now. And most importantly, one thing the article gets across is he has maintained his own happiness and mental health and peace which is something a lot of people try to take away from him but that's I think the biggest takeaway in all of this that he spent six years dealing with the ups and downs of like attaching the most successful moment of his career with the most stressful period of his career because you can't indeed have the exact same time so there's a lot to put from this interview again shout out to the interviewer and writer everybody involved here check it out just like as a journalist at heart and a writer like I love this kind of content so if you like us you'll like this as well and with that I think it's time to sign out yeah, so 
As per usual, we can't get to everything every week, so we are now going to go into our lightning round for some of the things that we weren't able to get to. So, something good, staying on Star Wars, right? Something good will come out of 2020 as Season 2 of The Mandalorian will be available October 30th. The three-body problem is going to get the U.S. Netflix treatment under Alex Wu, but fans of the original Chinese version are worried because basically America. There are a lot of things that are specific to Chinese history that inform the series, and so fans are worried that in the Hollywood treatment, it's going to get kind of whitewashed and just decentered from its Chinese background and its Chinese foundation, which would be a real shame because Asian American representation and Asian representation in everything should be bigger. So hopefully they will do it justice. We shall see. Um, the Boys in the Band is premiering on September 30th on Netflix. And it is about a group of gay men who have this birthday party and then get into a really stressful game of, hey, call the person that you think you loved, like your one true love, and tell them that you love them in like the 70s or 80s. So that's totally fine. (laughs) It's totally fine. Uh, But it's got an amazing cast. It's got Jim Parsons, Zachary Quinto, Matt Bomer, Andrew Rennells, Charlie Carver, Robin DeJesus, Brian Hutchison, Michael Benjamin Washington, and Tuck Watkins. And it is being produced by Ryan Murphy. So, I mean, that that listing is going to be fire. Is is a little white? Is a little white? But I do think that it's going to be fun, and I think that it will be a great entry into the LGBTQ pantheon. And I want to close with production was paused on the Batman because Robert Pattinson tested positive for COVID-19. Obviously, that's very sad for him. That is scary, right? And we wish him all of the best. Hopefully he gets better and does not have too difficult of a time with this illness. But let that be a reminder to us all, wear your mask. Wear your mask. I know that everybody's getting cabin fever. Don't go to parties. Be smart, right? So keep that in mind. If you'd like to hear our thoughts on these topics or anything else in nerd news, feel free to tweet us at Black Nerd Problems with the hashtag TWINN. That was This Week in Nerd News. Tune in next week for more pop culture news. I'm your host, Victoria Vertine. I'm your host, Keith Reed Cleveland. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts.